Hey, if you have Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start there. Fair warning. We're going to jump around a bunch. Uh, we are going to quote a lot of scripture today. If this is your first time or your first time in a long time, welcome. My name is Doug. I'm the young adult pastor here. Uh, so glad you chose to gather with us around the table so we can feast on God's word a little bit. Uh, my hope today is that we can just encourage one another uh, and that we can help make sense uh, of this thing we call life. We have been in, three weeks into a series uh, of talks uh, on something called the fruit of the Spirit. If you're not a Christian, uh, we'll kind of try to explain that for you here today. But the fruit of the Spirit, you may think of them as the, the virtues of Christianity or the, the things that God produces in us as we follow him. And the, the way we've been trying to talk about it is by having this cart up here. You may be wondering, well, I got the little shopping cart here. You may be also wondering how we procured it. Uh, we have a guy on our team named um, Derek who has a long ponytail and I don't ask questions. Uh, and so he just, I asked him if he had this and he brought it out. Uh, you know, a lot of us, especially young adults, we go to the store, right? Very, very few times do many of us grab this thing, right? We grab the little carry, carry little thing, right? Most of us, if anything, sometimes we get the little short one, but like I'm in the season of life where we don't even start with the small stuff because I got a family and we just get this thing. But maybe you're someone who's here and you're like, listen, I eat a lot and I get this. So you do you, uh, no judgment. But you know, we have our thing and we go to the store and this is a great representation for our life, right? This is your life. And oftentimes we keep asking ourselves walking around in the grocery store of life going, what do I put in this basket? What, what really matters in my life? What is it that's essential for me to take care of me? And the argument that we want to make over this series of talks uh, from the Bible is that there are nine virtues, these fruit of the Spirit, these nine things that we think you should put into the basket of your life. And each week we're going to take out one of them and we're going to examine it. So far, We've given an overview, and then last week, Isaac just did an incredible job talking about love as this chief virtue, this thing we should put into our basket, and I'll just say this publicly because I told him privately, I thought it was Isaac's best message I've ever heard. He did a fantastic job last week, and here's why I mentioned that. Number one, because I love Isaac. That's my boy, and I want to encourage him in front of people. Number two, because I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear it last week, to get on our podcast and go check it out. It is worth your time. Go to At The Table Orlando on our Instagram. You can see it in the link tree. Just click on it, listen to it. Listen to it in regular speed. Don't double speed that bad boy. Soak it in. It's really good stuff. Love, the first, the, the organizing, if you will, the prism virtue, the prism fruit that God puts in there. This week, we're gonna look at the second one. And to set it up, I wanna talk to you about something that's uh, really just gonna give us all, just gonna lift our spirits. I wanna talk to you about depression and why depression actually is good news for human beings. How's that for a starter, right? So uh, depression brings up a lot, evokes a lot of negative emotions. Uh, those of us who've gone through depression, obviously nothing to laugh about or to make fun of or to be dismissive of. I wanna talk to you guys about uh, the second time I ever experienced depression. The first time is a whole other story. That was when I was in college. Uh, but just a few years ago, and from about 2015 to 2016, I experienced kind of a second wave of depression. And uh, my, my 2015 started off like this. We got the news, the announcement that we were pregnant uh, with our second child, my son James. Super stoked about that. Um, but a month later, a month after we kind of posted and started mentioning that stuff, my mother-in-law, my wife's mom, passed away. Uh, and it was, it just wrecked my wife. It wrecked us. We were just 
uh, she'd been sick for a while. We kind of sensed it was probably close, but the fact that she passed away, it just, it just destroyed us. And on top of that, I was in a season of my job that I just did not like my job. Uh, you guys have maybe been there before where you have a job and you think it's going to be for you and it turns out not to be for you. And I just I was really bummed, but I'm providing for my family, so I got to keep my job. But I'm just miserable and I'm looking elsewhere and I'm just like, Lord, please release me from this job. It's just not fun for me. Uh, and I was just developing a lot of anger about life in general. And there wasn't anywhere I could vent it. We didn't really have strong community at that time period. We weren't in small groups with other couples and things like that. So um, I, my anger just turned inward. And this is what depression is. It's when your anger turns inward. I was mad at myself. I'm mad at my circumstances. I'm mad at life. And then, so mother-in-law passes away. That's in February. In June, I'm playing basketball and I'm dominating. But uh, I go up for this pass and I come down and land and my quad fires and my hip doesn't. And you guys know, right? There's a crunching sound. Uh, I just basically broke my knee, not as bad as McKenzie Milton, but there was a very similar kind of situation that went on. Had a seven hour leg procedure uh, uh, on my knee. I got up, my doctor was like, you're probably never walking again. Uh, I was like, thanks doc, thank you for that. Um, So that just, I mean, I couldn't run anymore. I couldn't play basketball. I I was already bummed about my, Mother-in-law passing away. I've got this knee situation. My wife's pregnant. And my son was born in August, which means she was pregnant during the hottest parts of Texas. Okay, some of you are from Texas and you get it. You're just like, Lord, have mercy on your wife's soul for that, right? It's like triple digits. My wife's in the last trimester. I can't help her. I'm in a bed with like this machine that's going. I can't walk. I can't help. I'm on crutches. I can't help with my daughter. I am miserable. I am there like three hours a day just laying in this bed, looking up going, God, why am I in this situation? I'm miserable at work. My leg doesn't work. My mother-in-law's gone. My father-in-law's depressed. My wife is sad. And so this all culminates with my son being born in August. And I thought everything was great. So yeah, cool. You know, guys, they have a boy and you're like, cool, I have a son. My name's going to be carried forth. You know, my daughter, unless she's like a liberal, uh, she's not going to keep the Hankins name going. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying. Uh, and, you know, we're probably raising her to not be liberal. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But, you know, my, my daughter's really conservative. So we're just like, oh, okay, cool. Uh, anyway, moving past that. Anyway, so... My son's being born, and I'm like, cool, the family line. It's a boy. I can relate. We can talk about, you know, poop jokes. It's going to be great. Um, he's born, and my wife tells me later, I thought I was fine. Uh, he basically was born, and the doctor was like, hey, come over here and look at your son. And I walked over, and I was like, cool. And I walked back, and I sat down, and I read a biography of Chuck Colson with no emotion. And Allie was like, the doctor was like, is he okay? What's going on? She's like, I think he's in shock. I just had no emotion. I was depressed. I had no idea. People are coming to visit. I'm like, yeah, cool. I have a son. You know, it's, it's great. And they're like, oh, okay. We don't know what's going on here. I was super depressed. And that was a miserable point in my life. If I hadn't gone to counseling and I hadn't had a Christian brother across the way look at me and tell me, hey, Doug, I think you're depressed and help talk with me to process me to come out of that, I would have been in depression for a while. Well, here's why I tell that whole long story. Number one, because I want you to know depression is a real thing. Maybe you're here today and you're having a kind of a super bad season or something like that. I want to just say, man, come talk to me if that's you afterwards. This is not a message on depression, but I'd love to help you get access to resources to help you get out of that, to start processing through that in a healthy, godly way. 
But I, I bring this up and I say there's good news in depression for this. Here's what was going on. My inward feelings were different from my external circumstances. And that's good news for humans. Because that means as a human being, our inward feelings can exist independent of our external circumstances. And if it's true in the negative emotions, it's also entirely possible in the positive emotions. You can have a positive emotional disposition independent of your circumstances around you. And that positive emotion, independent of your circumstances around you, is a word that the Bible uses that we're going to read and look at today. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Galatians chapter 5. You're probably already there. It'll be on your screen. We read this every week. This is what Paul writes. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Now, if you remember, one of the things we've talked about in the fruit of the Spirit is that these, these fruit, they can be cultivated by anybody who's in Christ. Uh, if I, you know, I told you guys about my banana tree. We planted the banana tree and it didn't grow fruit. It didn't grow bananas, but then we actually did some Google searching. And we're like, oh, we don't have the right kind of soil. So we put the right kind of soil down. And when we cultivated it properly, it produced fruit because that's what trees and fruit trees are designed to do. The fruit of the spirit, anybody can per- see produced in their lives if they're in Christ, if they cultivate it the right way. So what I wanna do today or tonight is do three things. All I wanna do for the next few minutes. Number one, I wanna try to come up with a biblical definition of what joy is. Number two, I wanna talk about how we can cultivate it. And number three, I wanna talk about what it looks like when we cultivate it. What might change in our lives if we were someone who saw joy produced in our lives? So step one, let's define this fruit called joy. I want to look at a couple of cross-references here to just try to get a stab at this definition because I think uh, in our 21st century, we sometimes misunderstand what joy is. And so in James 1, we'll start here. James, the brother of Jesus, is writing about joy, and he says this, "'Count it all joy, my brothers and my sisters, "'when you meet trials of various kinds.'" I want you to notice something. He is talking about joy in the midst of trials. You can experience joy in the midst of trials. Okay, just hold that thought. The second verse I want you to think about is in the Old Testament, Psalm 30, David's writing, verse five. Weeping may tarry or may last or may endure. It's an old school word. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Second kind of idea of joy is it's positive. It's juxtaposed to the weeping that happens during the night. Joy comes in the morning. So joy is this positive kind of thing that can exist in the midst even of trials. And that helps us get a a pretty basic uh, understanding of what that means. And so let's just kind of go to a definition. Joy comes from the Greek word kara, uh, which is where we get the term charismatic. If you know anybody who goes to a charismatic church, uh, it probably evokes this image of like people with tambourines, like, yeah, here we go. Maybe some snakes going on, right? Lots of happy people, right? Someone preaches a good message and they're like, amen, pastor, right? There's just a lot of that verbal kind of thing going on here. Well, that's because charismatic churches are organized around this idea that the, the Christian life is a life of joy. And it's coming from that word there for, uh, for joy, which is kara. Kara is a feeling of inner gladness or delight inner gladness or delight. It's a positive emotional feeling. 
Now, here's the thing we need to understand, especially as Americans or people who exist in America. America was established in general on this idea that we believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? From the beginning, our founding fathers, the framers of our political ideology say, you should pursue happiness. Life will be satisfying to you if you will just organize it around your own happiness. But here's a problem. Uh, Happiness is a positive inner feeling that is dependent on our circumstances. And so what I want us to know right up front in our definition is that joy is not the same thing as happiness. Joy is not happiness. Joy is, it's independent of our circumstances. Happiness is incredibly dependent on our circumstances. Joy is independent of our circumstances. It's a positive inward feeling of delight, independent of the circumstances around us. Again, you can have joy in the midst of trials. Happiness is completely dependent on our circumstances. Happy feelings require happy circumstances. And this is really important because if you're someone who's here and maybe you've heard the American dream articulated this way, that man, once you really find out what you're supposed to do in life, right, you're gonna get the good wife or the good husband, right? Good looking, amazing, uh, great haircut, stylish, swaggy, right? All those things. You're gonna move into the house with the HOA. It's gonna have the fresh cut St. Augustine grass that's, you know, got the edging done. So there's like a 90 degree edge on your grass, sidewalks, bushes, palm trees, right? You've got the stucco exterior because it's Florida and that's how we roll, right? Uh, There's the gated community. There's the nice couple of cars, right? You go to the golf club. Everyone's like, ha ha ha, I'm so glad you're here today. All of a sudden they start talking with like a Thurston Howell voice from Gilligan's Island and none of you get that reference because I'm old. Anyway, uh, right? This this, This is the life, right? You have your 2.5 beautiful children and each year you go on like three vacations and you Instagram about it all the time. You're like, Here's us on a yacht, Turks and Caicos, right? Uh, and that's the life, right? So the, the, the image that's presented out there is that we're really gonna be satisfied in this life. We're gonna be fulfilled if we're happy. And happiness is a positive feeling that happens when we have happy circumstances. And so if I can just only organize my life to have these happy circumstances, then I will have the happy feeling and the happy life and my life will be fulfilling. This is to some extent the implicit American dream. And I I just wanna challenge that before you guys here today. Not because I don't like America and not because I don't like the American dream and not because I wanna poo-poo on the constitution or anything like that, right? But because I just wanna call out philosophically, I might wanna call a a little attention to this. I'm not so sure from the Bible that the thing that's gonna make us most uh, fulfilled in life, that that thing is called happiness because happiness requires us to have happy circumstances around us. And just from a percentage standpoint, Most of us in this room will not have happy circumstances around us all the time. To put it another way, most of us in this room will have negative circumstances around us at some point in our life. And for some of us, it will be disproportionately more negative around us for most of our lives. And so if we're trying to find happiness in this world to be satisfied, and most of us are gonna have negative circumstances around us all our lives, we are set up for failure in that approach. And I love you enough to just say time out and go, hey, let's maybe take a step back, my friend, uh, and maybe not try to pursue something that we already know is going to be flawed at the end. Happiness is no solution for the problem of a fulfilling life. 
But in the card of your life, if you put joy in there, you will be fulfilled. Joy is a positive inward feeling of delight and gladness that is independent of our circumstances. And the claim of scripture is that if you follow Jesus, he will abundantly provide, consistently and sustainably provide this inward feeling of gladness and delight regardless of our circumstances. That's what I'm talking about with joy. The, uh, the latest expression I've seen of this idea of joy, we were uh, at our college missional community dinner night. Um, you know, we have these things called missional communities, these medium-sized uh, groups made up of smaller groups of people. And my wife and I give leadership to the college version of this. And so we have this thing on Sunday called IHOP, like uh, UCF IHOP or college IHOP. And I see several of the people, folks who were there. Shout out if you were at a uh, college IHOP. Anybody? Okay, show of hands or just, just whistle. I don't know what you guys do in college. Maybe just, you know, hold up your phone and text somebody. I don't know, right? Uh, snap or whatever. Anyway, so uh, we were there and I called ahead. I was like, hey, IHOP, I'm bringing about 30 friends over. Can we have the banquet room? And they're like, yes. Like, cool. So we can have that. They're like, yes, there's this room. We'll be ready for you. And I was like, okay, do you need my name? And the phone went click. And I was like, hmm. So I called back and they were like, yes. And I was like, so I just called about the banquet room. Do y'all need that? Do you need my name? And they're like, uh, I don't know, bro. Like, uh, probably not. And I was like, ooh, okay, well, just go ahead. Like, I don't know, tell somebody, uh, write it on a whiteboard somewhere. Just know we're gonna be there six o'clock. And they're like, okay, cool. Click, okay. So we show up Sunday. Natalie and I get there at 5.30. We walk up. Our, uh, our lady is this nice lady named Stacy, who's a UCF student. Y'all can pray for Stacy. She's got a tough semester coming on. And we were like, hey, Stacy, we're the group. We're here at six o'clock. We're gonna take the room. The room is open. She's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Can I get your number? I'm like, yeah, sure. So she gets our number. She's like, all right, I'll call you uh, about 45 minutes before it's ready. And I was like, oh, Stacy, it's... We're, it's now, now is ready. Now is, people are about to be here. And she was like, oh, okay. So me and Natalie and Stacy go back in the room, rearrange it, clean it up, get it ready, turn on the AC, like all this stuff. And like, right as we do it, Trisha and all these people start showing up and all the college students. And so we get in, it's only Stacy and the manager, Chris, who are working at this IHOP. There's like nobody else. There's maybe like two or three tables, nobody else there. And so we sit down and poor Stacy's going like 30 people show up immediately. And she's going uh, like, row by row, and she's you're taking the things and taking the orders and getting the drinks. And, and then after a while, a couple other people in red shirts show up, and it's taken a while for us to get our stuff, and we're in there, we're just kind of nervous and everything. You know how it's been. You show up to a place, it's maybe not ready for you, and you're just like, uh, should we order pizza and like have it delivered to the IHOP? I don't know. <laughs> that might be faster at this point. I, listen, I'm not mad at them at all. I feel terrible for the people that are there. And in this moment, the manager, whose name is Chris, opens a secret door and comes in. And he's like, guys, listen, I'm really sorry. We were understaffed for this, but I just called this dude. He rode his bike over here. We're gonna get you guys taken care of. We've got some help. You guys just sit tight. Let me know if you need anything. I got you. And we're like, okay, cool. So all of a sudden food starts coming out. Then drinks start coming out. And then refills start coming out. And everyone's getting settled and everything's great. And Stacy does a good job. And Chris does a good job. And this mystery other guy who comes in does a good job. Mystery guy, I don't remember his name, but like the first time he came in, like kicked the door open. He's like, I got hamburgers. Who needs it? Bam! right? Just a great attitude. And I was like, I like this guy, right? We need an internship for this guy, right? 
he was great. Stacy was great. Chris was great. It was amazing. Uh, at the very end, we were like, hey, can we pray for you guys? They were like, yeah, pray for us. It was really cool. Stacy was like, pray for my semester. We had this bonding moment. We all spent some time praying. Everybody left. The party was over. We're in the lull of the after party. We're like, cool, cool. I'm paying. I'm, you know, giving the thing and the tip, like 20%, 25%. Here we go, right? Just a good little evening. And Chris comes up to me and he's just standing there just talking to me. And he goes, man, you had a really good group there. I'm sorry that we weren't ready for you, but please like, let me know again so we can be better prepared for you guys next time. I said, totally, like this is a really good experience. And he said, yeah, man, you guys are a Christian group? I said, yeah. He was like, cool. So I was an atheist. And um, at the end of atheism, I was an alcoholic. And I came to realize that my life didn't have any meaning. And so I joined AA, and, you know, one of the steps in AA is kind of surrendering your life to a higher power. And so I did that, and I prayed, and Jesus saved me. And I don't have alcoholism anymore, and I don't have atheism anymore, but what I have is meaning and purpose. And he said this, and I have a joy in my life. And let me just tell you, the reason that Chris was able to take care of us in this stressful situation where he didn't have enough workers, the reason he was able to have such a great attitude and he was so cool with us was not because he was a good manager, although he is, and not because he had all the resources that IHOP gave to him, although he did. It's because he had Jesus. And if you have Jesus, you can have a positive inward gladness despite the circumstances around you. It was joy on display in the middle of our college dinner. That's joy. And you know what? You're not gonna get that by pursuing happiness. Because if Chris was someone pursuing happiness and those conditions were there, he would open the door and he'd be like, forget it. Boom, right, left, like Christians, right? And he would have bounced from there. Happiness could never function in that place. Joy is the only thing that could function in that place. So that's joy. And that's what it means. It's a positive, inward gladness that is, um, that is independent of our circumstances around us. That's the definition. So how do we cultivate this? How do we curate joy in our lives, right? And let me just tell you, everyone in here, if you're following Jesus, you can cultivate joy in your life. If, if you were to treat your life like you treat your Instagram profile, right? You know what I'm talking about? Where you perfectly curate and manicure your Instagram profile, you know who you are. You like take a photo and you post it and it only gets 30 likes in the first hour. You're like, deleted, Right? I got to keep my algorithm up, right? Uh, you, you know, you, you perfectly curate. I see y'all all the time out there. You get your cell phones and you're like, click, and then you scan through. You call your agent. You're like, here's the first batch of selfies I just took. Tell me which one is best. I need more lighting on that one. Thank you. Get the lighting rig over there. Mm, click, right? And we perfectly curate our Instagram to be the thing that it is. You guys understand intuitively how to curate something. I'm telling you guys, you can curate your life to produce joy in Christ. And there's this very basic discipline that everybody can jump into, this spiritual practice that everybody in this room can participate in, which will end up in joy, the Bible tells us. And it's found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 and 8, uh, through 18. Paul writes this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. If you're in Christ Jesus, the single spiritual discipline that you can begin practicing to cultivate joy in your life is called rejoicing. 
It's called rejoicing. Now, we get the term rejoice. It's a French term kind of from the Latin. Uh, It's a combination really of two kind of key words, remembering joy. And if you want to think about the spiritual practice that's going to help you to have joy, it's to remember joy. And there's a specific kind of joy that we can recall and remember. And David tells us about that in Psalm 51. He says this, restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's talking to God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. If you've ever read Psalm 51, I don't know if you've perused that recently. Psalm 51 is not a happy psalm. It's a psalm of suffering. Uh, It's a psalm of surviving. He's like, oh, I've sinned. I'm terrible. Everything's terrible with me. I'm just a sinful person. Like, have mercy on me, oh God. Starts off in this really negative tone, but it ends up kind of with this verse here as he's kind of starting to come out of that. And he says, restore to me this joy of my salvation, the joy of your salvation. In other words, he's saying what I want to cultivate, what I want to remember, what I want to think about is the joy of the last time I can remember that God saved me out of something. Do you remember the last time God saved you out of something? Maybe for you it was when God first saved you, when you were converted, when you were born again, that that first time God's initial kind of saving work and grace started happening in your life. Maybe it was your conversion moment. Maybe for you it's a recent time where you had just gotten yourself into just a jam and God saved you out of that. Think about that here. What's the last time God saved you out of something? I've been thinking just recently about uh, my story when God first saved me. Uh, You guys know this. I was 16, just before I turned 16, September 10th, 1997, okay? It's an important day. I got saved on that day. Alec Brockhell was born on that day. Same day, right? Really cool little fun fact about us. Uh, So Alec is exactly as old as I am a Christian. That's how that works. Um, I mean, I remember where I was. So I grew up atheist. You guys may know this, remember this if you heard my story. And I remember just my life as a freshman in high school was just kind of, it wasn't terrible because, you know, a freshman in high school, I'm an idiot. Uh, But, you know, it just was, it was really aimless. My life was incredibly aimless. Like it was like, get good grades and run cross country. I don't know, right? Track was a great metaphor for my life. You guys remember track, track and field, the sport? You start on this line and you run four laps and that's a mile. And when you're done, you're like, cool, I just ran a mile. But I ended up at the same place I started. Uh, This was kind of a waste of energy. I don't know why I just did this. That was a great metaphor for my life. I'm just running in circles all the time, just all the time. No aim, no direction. I don't know what I'm doing. My life isn't bad, but it's not good. And it's just kind of meh. If there was an emoji to describe my life, it'd just be meh. I don't know. And then I start hearing about Jesus and the fact that there's this God who exists outside of the universe and that that God who controls everything wants to give wisdom into my life and wants to love me and give me a plan and a purpose. And man, just something came alive in me. And I remember I, you know, on September 10th, I walked this aisle and I closed my eyes and I pray a prayer and God saves me, does this amazing work in my life. And for me, it was instant. When I opened my eyes, I went from black and white to color. I was like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. I remember what it was like, I was so, I don't know how to describe this. I was so filled with joy. I don't know that I'd experienced joy in my life up to that point. So just imagine feeling joy for the first time. I was like, I have, I have a joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And having this conversation with myself. I was like, that sounds great. I should write a song. Uh, I was so 
overjoyed, I drive, or actually at this point, because I can't drive legally, uh, so I didn't drive. Nope, I definitely didn't drive even though I had a car. Uh, I drove to my dad's house and I went inside and I was like, dad, atheist dad, hey, I became a Christian. And I remember the next day at school, I went to school and we had like whatever sophomore year science was. We had the little labs. It was the first time you could dissect something with a knife, right? But it's still like a butter knife, like a plastic butter knife or whatever, because uh, we're idiots. Anyway, uh, and I remember I'm sitting with my friend. He was like, hey, what'd you do last night? I was like, funny story, I got saved. And he was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I became a Christian. And he was like, huh? I just, I was so happy. I just went around and told everybody, just kind of like very matter-of-factly like, Man, we had a really good football game this weekend. I mean, it was just incredible. And last week I got saved. And so, uh, yeah, man, like, you know, I mean, just, I was so happy. Do you remember what it was like for you when you got saved? Or the last time that David, I mean, I'm sorry, that God did something in your life. I mentioned David because I, wanna, I, want, you, well, I want us, excuse me, to look at his story as kind of a template here for what we can do. Uh, a template of remembering our joy. And so in Psalm 40, I told you we were gonna jump around a bunch. Psalm 40, there's this great Psalm here that David writes, and here's what he said. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and he set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord, but blessed is a man, or is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud or to those who go astray after a lie. So much in this text. But I want you to see kind of the three-step process of how David practices rejoicing. And it's this. Number one, he remembers to cultivate, uh, I'm sorry, he remembers, and remembering cultivates perspective. By remembering, the reason we remember our joy is because it cultivates perspective. When you think back on what God has done in your life, it requires you to just kind of take these steps back and go, okay, I can see what's going on here. I can see how all this is working together. Remembering is like climbing up this mountain, this, this mountain of your life and looking at past, present, and future all at once and going, okay, I've got to think about everything and get outside of my own life and just see where everything is. For David, he, he says, he waited patiently for the Lord. The Lord inclined, heard his cry, drew him up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set his feet on a rock. He's, he's visualizing, he's, he's using romantic language to kind of say, I was in this kind of pit of destruction. God picked me up out of it and put me into a safe spot. I was in, uh, you guys are in Florida, right? You ever go on a lake? Anyone go paddle boarding here? Any paddle boarding fans? Okay, cool. Uh, we're getting into paddle boarding. I'm still, you know, I'm from Texas, so alligators. Um, but like Florida people are just like, ah, it's alligators, right? Uh, but Texas people are like, no. Like that's just the, nope. Every Texan to a point, I'm like, hey, would you go in a lake? They're like, yeah. Like what if there's alligators? I'm out, right? Every Texan I know, fair Texans, 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 yep, okay. Yeah, every Texan is like, yeah, I'm out. But I'm trying to get over this, so I'm paddle boarding now. There's always that weird point where you have the paddle board, especially if you're on a lake, there's the grass, and you're pushing the paddleboard out, and then you hit that thing that's somewhere in between grass and water. I don't know what that little ecotone area right there that's between two environmental areas, and it's like really slick, and you're like, ew, is this snot? I don't know, right? Is this fish snot? Is this alligator snot? Oh, I gotta get out, right? You just, you don't know it's, right? That's mire. That's a miry situation. That's where David was. He was in the ooh of life. 
And he said, God picked him up out of that and put him onto a rock. It's onto a firm ground. He's remembering. He's gaining perspective about all those times God has saved him and taken care of him. Remembering cultivates perspective, and perspective helps us to see God's character. When we take a step back and we can see everything as God sees it, we remember who God is, his essential character, how good he is to us, how he is faithful, how he is sovereign, how the smallest problems we think in our life are really big ones are actually just these little man things that God is sovereign over and he can take care of. There's really nothing God can't handle. And so if we can just remember how he's interacted in our lives, take our step back, we can see, okay, this is a big problem, it's too big for me, The thing I know to be true is it's not too big for God. Perspective helps us to see God's character, and God's character is always the launching point of praise. Have you ever noticed that? As you meditate on God's character, on his goodness, on his mercy, on his sovereignty, on his greatness, it it becomes kind of this instinctive thing. You're like, man, God, you're awesome. Uh, it's like if you ever go to a sporting contest and you watch like a college athlete or professional athlete and you've heard the stories and then you go watch this college athlete and you're just like, oh my, it's almost instinctive. You can't help it. You're like, oh, wow, you're just impressive. Like I have this friend named Annie. Uh, Annie was our worship pastor's daughter. Uh, and just when she was in middle school or high school, she was like, you know, I think I'm going to be a pole vaulter. And then she was like overnight, the best pole vaulter in the state of Texas. And then she went to college where she was an All-American. And now she's like a professional pole vaulter. You can do that, apparently. Uh, yeah. And I remember the first time, because I'd heard, because she was like this, you know, just this little kind of girl in our church or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's sweet. She's doing track, whatever, right? I ran and I was like pole vaulting. <laughs> I'm a runner, right? Because uh, there's totally a stratification system in the track community, if you guys don't know that. Uh, it's sprinters, uh, and then it's middle distance runners, and then it's long distance runners, uh, and then it's jumpers, right? Like people who jump, and then it's hurdlers, and then it's pole vaulters, right? That's just kind of how we do things. We're like, you couldn't jump without a pole, right? So there's just kind of this thing going on. But anyway, so I'm going up, and I'm like, uh, whatever, Annie. And I go watch her in her first little meet, and I mean, I was like, she starts running. I was like, oh my gosh, she is fast. And then she had the pole and I was like, oh no, this is gonna be bad. And then she sticks it and it slings her up in the air and I just couldn't help it. I was like, oh my goodness, that was incredible. I think I may have done the mom hands. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like this, ah, like that. Like suddenly I entered a horror film. It was like, oh no, the monster's coming. It was just one of those amazement moments where I was just, oh, this is coming out of my mouth perspective of who God's character is, when you see it on display, when you remember it, it launches praise out of your mouth. You can't help it. When God does something, when he comes through, there's, there's something instinctive about us. We're just like, oh, praise Jesus. Oh, why did that come out, right? You, you, it, just, it just comes out of your mouth. Perspective helps us to see God's character, and God's character is always the launching point of praise. I was trying to think about where I've seen this in my life, because I see it in David. David says, You picked me up out of this miry bog and you landed me on solid ground. And then he says, blessed is the man. That word blessed in the Old Testament is the word for joy. David is saying, there's joy there. And then he sings a new song to God because praise is launched out of his perspective of God's character. And I remember seeing this in my life uh, when I was about y'all's age. I was in my 20s. I just asked out this girl named Natalie, who is now my wife. Uh, she said yes, and so we started dating, and a month into dating, she broke up with me. Uh, I, man, when I was just talking about this. I don't think I was a creeper, but l- let me justify my creepiness. 
So I'm a historian, right? And so I just collect documents and data. And so I'd created this file on Natalie. Like I had a digital camera, took a picture of her, right? Created a dossier on her, redacted portions of it, right? And anytime she had given me something, she'd written me a note, she'd bought me something like a little trinket. Uh, in fact, I was just cleaning out a box. I have this, um, I have this, <laughs> I have this fast food Happy Meal toy that she gave me in 2003, and it's still in my backpack. Okay? Again, see? See? Did you hear all the awes? Yeah, I'm not a creeper. This is totally cool. Anyway, so I had all these things in like a box on my shelf with her dossier taped to the, the wall in my closet between my blazers and my pants that hung, right? Because I was in a dorm. I had roommates. I just didn't have a lot of space, so I was like, cool. And every time in the mornings I was getting dressed, I would pray for Natalie. That's what we did, Okay? Well, I also kind of had a candle there uh, just for, anyway, you guys see where this is going. So she comes over and she like walks in like, oh, let me get dressed. And she looks into the closet. Can you imagine her like shock? She looks, there's this candle and a picture of her and she's like, oh, she just immediately leaves. She like calls me. She's like, we are broken up. This is creepy. You worship me. I... I mean, it's just, it was bad. I was dejected, as you can imagine, because I loved her at a month in. I told her on the, like, right as I'm asking her out, I'm like, dude, we're going to get married, so we should start dating, right? That was my opening line to her, which, by the way, is true. Who has my babies? What? Yeah, someone was right. Um, So I, uh, yeah, so... I was dejected, and I remember I went to my college pastor, and I was like, man, Natalie broke up with me, man. I'm just so, I mean, the circumstances of my life, they're just miserable. Just the the ache in my heart, the pain in my soul. Like, I just, when I woke up in the morning, I'd make my cup of hot tea, and I would just be like, this is okay, right? I went to class, and I would be like, okay, this information's okay, right? Everything was just okay. I was sad. I was bummed all the time, just miserable, And I go to my college pastor and I tell him, I'm like, man, what can heal my broken heart? Like, can you just give me, what can make me happy again? Can you just help me figure this thing out? And here's what my college pastor did for me. He sat me down. He said, let's go through this exercise. Um, Is God big enough for this situation? I was like, yes. He's like, okay. So what might this very big God do in your life? What are the options here? What are the outcomes that he might bring about? And he invited me to start remembering with him. I was like, well, God in his sovereignty might bring us back together triumphantly. He's like, okay, okay. It's definitely an option. And I was like, I like that option. Yeah, let's (laughs) let's pray towards option A. And he goes, okay, but let's just keep this in mind, perspective. Take a step back. What else might he do? And I said, well, he might lead us to stay broken up. And he's like, yep. I was like, oh, I don't want that option. Can we not pray towards that? And he's like, just keep in mind, what else might God do? And he goes, I said, well, he might do something else I'm not even thinking about right now. And he goes, okay, that's true. He might bring you guys back together. You might break up. There might be a third option or a fourth option or a fifth option. Guess what your disposition is to be right now, Doug? And I was like, what? And he said, your disposition is to be okay no matter what that is. And I was like, that's really hard. That's really hard, Kyle. (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. And he said, Doug, that's reality. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Do you remember when he saved you? 
And I went, yes. If you have Jesus and you don't have Natalie, are you going to be okay? Yes. And he goes, then walk in that. And I said, okay. And then I walked out of the college house or the, the house there and I drove to my apartment and I crawled into my bed and none of my roommates were home. And I sat on the bed and I was like, Jesus, if I have you and nothing else, I'm going to be okay. And then I played this song by the band Delirious and I began singing it on my bed. Can you play this? You can stop playing now. I'm going to cry more if you keep going. (laughs) Oh, I remember it like it was yesterday. Listen, I've been married to Natalie for 15 years. We have two kids, right? Uh, I have all the things I described way up front, HOA, two beautiful kids, cars, you know, the 90 degree angle on the grass. It's kind of a situation I like. But listen, in that moment, I was sad. I was sad. Gosh, I was sad. But I knew if I had Jesus, I didn't need anything else, including Natalie. And so I sang that song to him. And I told myself in that moment, my life is going to count for Jesus. And if I have him, then guess what? I have everything I need. And in that moment, this smile came to my face, even though I was sad. And I couldn't describe it, but the way I, I thought about it and I journaled about it that night was he gave me joy, this inward Gladness in the midst of really sad circumstances. The claim of the Bible that Paul wants us to understand is that if you follow Jesus despite your circumstances, he can give you this positive inward gladness and joy no matter your circumstances. And the way we cultivate it is by practicing rejoicing. We remember the joy of our salvation that gives us perspective which helps us to see God's character which draws us back in to remember, if I got Jesus, I'm good. And so here's how I want us to respond today. I want us to remember together what it was like the last time Jesus saved us. And so wherever you are, I wanna invite you to close your eyes. Just kind of think with me. The man's gonna come on. You may hear some music. We're just gonna kind of pad and listen for a little bit. I'm just going to kind of prompt you with this. When was the last time that you were in need of Jesus' rescue? What did it feel like? What was going on? What did it feel like? What did it smell like? What were the circumstances? Maybe for some of you, it's right now. You know exactly what it feels like because you're in it right now. Maybe for some of you, it was a year ago. For others, it was four or five years ago. Now remember, what was it like when Jesus took care of me and he took my feet off that miry yuck he put it on solid ground what was my inner disposition at that moment what were my feelings what does joy feel like for some of us it's hard for us to rejoice because we've forgotten what joy feels like can you remember the last time you tasted it and God came through and he filled you with this inner gladness and delight in your heart 
Now keep remembering me with me. Remember that Jesus lived this life that was perfect and gave us an example. And he taught on the way that we could live and find peace with God and contentment and satisfaction. And then he died on a cross to counteract the problem of sin. And then that wasn't it. He went in the ground and after three days he rose from the dead so that he could counteract the problem of death. So that for those of us who are in Christ, we only die once. Everybody else dies twice. And he gave us a way to live and a way to produce good in the world. And he gave us giftings of the spirit and he gave us fruition of the spirit. Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. For those of us who are in Christ, this is not just a fantasy. This is our reality. And no matter what you're facing right now, Jesus can bring you joy in the midst of it. I want to tell you one final story, and then I want to give us an opportunity. So I was reading this story about a chaplain in the UK, and uh, he had this group of people who were all kind of in an end-of-life scenario or maybe just kind of a real bad scenario, and he would host these weekly Bible studies for them and they would have these meals together and they would just kind of encourage one another. And uh, he goes to this one patient's room and her name was Enid. He said, uh, he saw her, she was kind of, you know, kind of sad. He goes, Enid, what's wrong? What's going on? Like, did, you know, did you get some bad news? Like, what's going on? She goes, I did get bad news. He goes, oh no. Is it terminal? Like, what's going on? She said, no, 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 nothing like that. She's in her 80s. She said, I have to, I got discharged. I have to go home. And he goes, well, that's great news. Your family could be there for you and they'll love you and get to go back to the comfort of your bed and you're not having people help you to go to the bathroom and you get to wear something other than this gown and there's no one poking you and prodding you in the middle of the night. This is really great news. And she said, no, it's really bad news. And he said, why? Why is this bad news? And she said, because I really enjoy the fellowship I have in this hospital and I don't want to leave it. And he goes, but in the hospital, it's all these crazy circumstances around you. How could you possibly experience that? She said, I don't know. Even amidst all the death and the dying and the poking and the prodding and someone walking me to the bathroom so I can go number one or go number two and the gown and all this stuff and the cafeteria food and all this stuff, even amidst all that, there's joy here. And I don't want to be apart from that anymore. Let me ask you a question. What would it be like in Orlando if people said, I don't want to leave Orlando because there's this place called The Table and despite the fact that it's never perfect and the circumstances aren't great, there's just a sense of joy among the people there. What would it be like if people who finish their CP and go back to their home in Alabama or Michigan or California are like, oh man, I'm gonna go back to California and Michigan and Maryland and all these places. I miss the table because those people had joy. What about the people who get their promotion out of their mid-level job in Orlando and they get to go to the big boy plant on the East Coast or whatever, and they're like, I don't know if I wanna take that promotion because I don't wanna leave the table. What about people who are like, man, I, you know, just the, the weather seems better in Jacksonville and so I'm gonna move up there or Atlanta or whatever. And as they move, they're on the drive going up and they're just like, man, the weather seems really good here, but I don't get the table anymore. What would it be like if we were the kind of people who were so filled with the fruit of joy 
that people just could not escape us because they had to be around us. That's the kind of future, that's the kind of group I wanna be a part of. And that's my prayer for each of y'all here today. So here's what I want us to do to conclude. I wanna invite you to stand if you're able. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm gonna practice rejoicing right now.